Hi, I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky, and I work with the Jesuits in Washington, D.C. Back in college, I lived in a quad with a guy named Michael Rossman. Everyone seemed to know Michael. He's a connector, one of those guys who can have a conversation about anything with anyone. After he graduated, Michael went straight into the Jesuit novitiate, and I wasn't sure I'd ever see him again. But then I started dating my now-wife Genevieve in graduate school, and like everyone else on campus, she had been friends with Michael during undergrad too, so we all stayed in touch. Jen and I even went to his first Jesuit vows in 2009 and his ordination to the priesthood two years ago. Now that I work with the Jesuits, I get to connect with Father Michael all the time, which is an awesome full circle kind of thing. We sat down recently in St. Louis to have a conversation about Father Michael's work in vocations promotion and Pope Francis's new letter about young people in the church. In the second half of the podcast, we take turns drafting our favorite books from the Bible, just like the NFL draft, but way more fun. Thanks for joining us. Well, Father Michael Rossman, thank you so much for sitting down for a conversation live from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, how you doing? Doing great. We're here in Jesuit Hall on the 14th floor. I know. This is a really tall building. I guess it used to be a hotel when it was built in the early 20s, but some great views of the surrounding area. Uh, it's nice to be at uh, a college with you. You and I first met in college. We were college roommates, in fact, for a year, uh, a long time ago now. Uh, but it's uh, it's always good to see. It reminds me of those, those fun days. The Catholic world is very small. It's great to be with you, Mike, as always. All right, so I wanted to chat with you today because Pope Francis has recently come out with this brand new letter, what's called an apostolic exhortation on young people in the church. It's called Christus Vivit. Uh, I haven't taken Latin, so it's something like that. Christ is alive is the English translation. Um, and it came after this synod of bishops on young people in the church that the Pope had called uh, last fall. So they came out with the document. He read that. He participated in this long, you know, this month-long process. And then he writes this letter addressed to everyone, really, young people in the church. And I really wanted to spend some time especially kind of reflecting on his the last two chapters of that document are about vocation and discernment. Um, what are we called to be? Who are we called to be? Uh, and that's kind of the work that you're involved in all the time. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what your ministry is uh, in, within the society? Right. So I serve as a vocation promoter for the Jesuits in the Midwest. Uh, so I'm based in Chicago, though I'm oftentimes not there because I'm traveling all over the Midwest accompanying uh, young men who are thinking about the Society of Jesus as their possible vocation. Um, in addition to sharing the tools for discernment with, uh, with many people, doing that uh, in person through talks and retreats and masses, and then also using uh, digital tools as well to kind of uh, assist people in asking how God might be calling them. Right. So just kind of these big questions you're having, we're asking with people and sitting with people with the, the questions that, that Pope Francis raises uh, in the document. So first he, he talks about, again, vocation as this this sense of, of call to service in particular, that we all have gifts that we have been given and called to use those to kind of build up the kingdom of God. I really, I liked that because it was this 
a slightly different, maybe a broader or deeper uh, definition of vocation than sometimes it seems like it gets boiled down to in, you know, in the church in which vocation only means you're a priest, you're a sister, you're a religious brother, you're married, you're single, that's it. Whereas this seems like no, it's not just your state of life, but it's how you're living in that state of life. Absolutely, absolutely. I, he helpfully, you know, unpacks how, first of all, we have common vocations. We have a common vocation to holiness. We have a common vocation to friendship with Jesus Christ. So in many ways, there's more that unites us that, than that which, you know, differentiates us. Um, and then, two, we are called as particular individuals with different talents and passions and backgrounds. And so uh, I think in his description of vocation, it both illustrates how there is much that we share, but that God calls us in particular ways as we have been, you know, knitted in our mother's wombs in particular ways as well. So why, why don't you tell me a little bit about your own vocation story? I, so I remember living with you. We were in the dorm. You were a junior. I was a sophomore. And you were discerning whether or not you wanted to live in the dorm for your senior year or move off campus. And I remember you had this extremely detailed <laughs> pro-con list for moving off or staying on. You eventually moved off into a community with some other folks uh, off campus. But you clearly took even that decision very seriously. So bring us through this even larger decision, not just where you're going to live for a year, but where you might live, spend your life doing. Um, what was that discernment process like for you? Right. Uh, I remember that very well. Sorry I abandoned you in the dorm, Mike. It's okay. <laughs> we still invited you over to our house uh, when I lived off campus. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's been interesting to see how in some ways I was practicing some of the rules of discernment as St. Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuit, um, kind of outlined. I was practicing some of those rules even before I knew what they were. Um, and I always say to how discernment at the foundation, you know, is uh, is the, the Christian life, uh, having a regular practice of, of prayer and reflection and going out of oneself in a community and in service, that that really forms the foundation by which we can, you know, pay attention to how God is calling us. And, you know, it's in our lives, in our reflected lives, when we, you know, have many experiences that we can, you know, try to sift through, you know, we can look inside of our hearts and see, you know, what is stirring. Um, Ignatius talks a lot about the movements of consolation and desolation. Consolation being, you know, an increase in faith, hope, and love. Ultimately, that which comes from the good spirit, from God. And oftentimes that consolation is manifest in experiences like a deep peace or um, just a radiant joy or a sense of, you know, feeling alive and hitting on all cylinders and so forth. And, you know, even though I didn't quite have all the vocabulary for it, perhaps when I was a junior in college living in the dorm with you, um, it was certainly during that time when I was paying attention to those questions, some of which Pope Francis talks about um, in this apostolic exhortation of, you know, where, where am I really feeling uh, alive? Um, and so, you know, we can use those uh, tools for discernment um, in 
figuring out our our small vocations and our big vocations in in looking at um, decisions that you know may matter but aren't going to you know completely change the course of our lives but we can also use these same sorts of questions to ask the really big questions about our lives and so you know there are all sorts of practical things that one could do so you know one could write out a, a pro and con list and kind of prayerfully review that that's even a tool that uh, Ignatius talked about, uh, particularly when perhaps you know trying to assess what's going on in the heart and those movements of consolation and desolation aren't so clear. In such situations, he, he does recommend that one use one's reason and judgment a little bit more, and you may need to um, do something like a, a pro and con list. Uh, I would recommend doing more than that. Uh, the pro-con list can be subject to the confirmation bias. So we might start you know, putting many more pros uh, on something that we already want to do uh, and, uh, and fewer cons when we're considering a particular option. But it can be a way of kind of uh, you know, sifting through um, different uh, stirrings of the heart and, and ideas that we might have. Um, and so I'd certainly say that kind of at the foundation for this process would be that uh, prayerful reflection on one's uh, experience. Yeah, so can you take us back at all to those those days when you were discerning, joining? So again, you, you I remember joined right after graduating from college, and so there was that process going on in the midst of sure. your classes and just in college life. Um, and again, discernment, as I know, as little bit of I know of what, how Ignatius talks about it, it's not necessarily choosing between a good thing and a bad thing. Those are easy choices, but a good thing, joining the Jesuits, or another good thing, doing something else that could also be good. So how, what were some of the things you were sorting through, and did you chat, chat with different people? Like, what was that process like for you, specifically? Right. right, you're exactly right, that discernment is between goods. We don't need to discern whether we should, you know, like you know, push an old lady down into the road. Like, that's a terrible thing. You, would, you don't need to discern that. Just don't do that. Uh, but discernment is between goods. And yeah, I, I mean, I definitely had a discernment to make. Um, you know, I had assumed for most of my life that eventually I would get married and have a family. Um, and that's clearly a wonderful life. That's a great vocation. Additionally, I mean, there were different opportunities that um, I could have had after graduation. Uh, and, you know, some of the people in my life, it's not as if they were opposed to my decision to join the Jesuits, but they really wanted me to be cautious in making that decision because they didn't want me to lose out on some, you know, incredible opportunities that I could have had. Um, and a big part of my process as well was seeing that, yes, there are other great options. Um, it's not as if I, you know, if I, this is the only way that I could be happy if I joined the Jesuits. No, I mean, there were plenty of ways that God could have used me in, uh, and, and I could have had a, a great life. Um, and yet, when I, you know, really reflected on the idea of being a Jesuit, one of my favorite uh, definitions or kind of descriptions of a calling from God is the happy inability to think of anything else. The happy inability to think of anything else. And that really matched my own experience. Um, that surely I, I knew I could have done other great and 
admirable things. Um, and yet when I thought about being a Jesuit, I just couldn't shake it. And on some level, I wanted to shake it because uh, this was not kind of the, the script that I had assumed I would follow uh, for much of my life. And uh, this was not what other people were necessarily expecting that I would do. Uh, and yet there was a joyful excitement in being unable to shake this idea. And that, you know, all of this really flowed from seeing um, priests and religious up close and um, seeing their example, seeing their joy, their holiness and their humanity. And uh, it was really just, you know, seeing their example that got the wheels turning for me and made me think, huh, um, this is actually a life that very much connects with my deepest desires, I would say God-given desires in terms of how I have been made and formed and so forth. And this really just seemed to kind of be um, the uh, continued deepening of, you know, many of the invitations I had already been given in life. Sure. So you mentioned seeing priests or you know other religious up close mm -hmm. and that having a big impact on you now you are in some ways tr being that for others people who are discerning themselves uh so as you're meeting with them having driving all over the midwest and having coffee and dinner and just com casual conversation formal conversation all kinds of things so you're, you're doing that you're living that francis in the document talks about he seems to have a very clear sense of some of the challenges young people are up against today, especially, uh, you know, those of us uh, in the Catholic Church who are, you know, it's a, a church racked by scandal right now. And then we have all of this uncertainty in, in society. Um, we have, again, maybe a vocation, as you're, you mentioned, like maybe not everyone in your life is thrilled about that. So maybe even some from family resistance to a vocation in religious life. Uh, you have youth unemployment, all of these things that young people are up against. So when, when you're going in and meeting with, with people, what are some of the concerns that you're hearing that seem to be kind of consistent um, across the board? Yeah, great question. And I'd say, first of all, um, you know, it's very easy to just be discouraged by, you know, some of the things that have happened in the church. Um, and, you know, oftentimes people will come to me and say like, oh, I wouldn't want your job right now. Uh, but I have to say this, that I continue to be blown away because there are young guys who are just on fire with love for the Lord and a desire to serve him and his church and who continue to step forward, at least to you know ask the question, might this be for me, um, this Jesuit life, priestly, religious life? Um, and then, you know, some of them uh, do enter. And so it's just incredibly encouraging to um, see that. And, and I, I feel as if I have a, a privileged view of just God continuing to call people and work in their lives. Um, so, you know, on a regular basis, I just am uh, filled with hope because of that activity of God that I, I get to see pretty up close. Um, but there certainly are um, certainly are challenges that um, you know people who are raising these vocational questions um, are going through, and so yeah, one can be family resistance, or at least a lack of enthusiasm, um, or you know 
for people with non-Catholic friends or even with Catholic friends, I, I think uh, many can wonder why would a person do this? You know, what is he running from, for example? Um, and, you know, that's, that's tough. And I'd say, you know, uh, some of the challenges by no means are unique to, you know, men thinking about the Society of Jesus. Um, rather, I'd say that uh, for young adults, and Mike, do you and I still qualify? We, yeah, no, I think we do. We definitely do. <laughs> uh, oftentimes, you know, even I had this uh, retreat I was giving and I listed it as for people between the ages of 18 and 35. And I was thinking, oh man, soon I'm going to fall outside of that category. (laughs) But I guess if I'm giving the retreat, I can set the rules and invite myself. Uh, But I'd say that for, you know, people our age or a little younger, um, just the very idea of making a commitment (laughs) uh, is really challenging. Uh, And so I definitely see that dynamic at play in the the people I work with. Sure. So there was certain reasons you were drawn to the Jesuits in particular. What are some of those things that you then want to then be able to pass on to others? What about this life Mm -hmm. is worth exploring? And I think like Francis does this too in this document and and otherwise. He just seems to me to be just like so full of joy. I mean, I did a control F search for exclamation points in the document. It was like over 40 of them. He just is just so full of just like this genuine joy and just wants to share that with others, which for me, I just find so like attractive. Mike, of course you would do a control F uh, search for exclamation points. No, I too was struck by the joy and the energy of this document. Um, You know, the central theme is Christ is alive. And it felt like that when you uh, read uh, Christus Vivit. Um, Yeah, and you know, that, that theme of joy was certainly something that attracted me to the Jesuits. Um, Oftentimes when people ask me what my favorite thing about being a Jesuit is, I always respond by saying Jesus and Jesuits. What do I mean by that? It's a life that facilitates my encounter with Jesus Christ. And uh, one of the things I just love about this new document from Pope Francis is that it too is all about encounter, a friendship with Jesus Christ. Um, And, you know, as a Jesuit, I get to share Jesus with so many different people and in all sorts of different contexts. And both when I was in discernment and then, you know, ever since I joined the Jesuits, I was attracted to and then I have appreciated just that daily opportunity to both encounter Jesus and share him uh, with others. And I'd say for these last nearly two years or so since being ordained, that has only been magnified, getting to do that, you know, through the sacraments um, as well. And then the thing, the second thing that I always talk about in terms of why I love being a Jesuit is, is my brother Jesuits. Uh, these are great, hilarious, fun, thoughtful, uh, holy but human dudes. And uh, I just really enjoy sharing this life with them. I know when I was in discernment, it was pretty clear to me early on um, that as attracted as I was to the priesthood, I did not feel called to the diocesan priesthood. Um, I knew that I wanted to share this life with a community. Um, I knew that I did not want to live alone in a rectory, for example. Um, so, and, and additionally as well, I, I was drawn to the idea of being able to help at um, you know, parishes on Sundays and I very much uh, get to do that 
now, but I also was attracted to the idea of serving as a priest in different contexts as well, you know, at a university, for example. Um, so those are the things that really drew me, and I find that um, many of the guys that I'm talking to are attracted to, to some of the same things. Um, they're attracted to community. They're attracted to kind of giving their entire beings to service of the Lord, and they see uh, you know, religious life or the priesthood as, uh, as a really great way uh, of doing that. And then, you know, why might someone be particularly attracted to the Society of Jesus uh, as opposed to, you know, so many other great religious uh, communities? Um, you know, it depends on the person. I, I know I was drawn to kind of the educational tradition um, of the Jesuits in addition to just falling in love with Ignatian spirituality. Um, I found it to be a very incarnational uh, way of, you know, seeing the world and way of prayer. Um, and uh, I was just so drawn to it. And then, you know, so much of it kind of comes down to the feel. Um, I felt at home when I started to meet Jesuits. Uh, there were other religious communities that I explored. I had, I have nothing but good things to say about them. Um, you know, some were very instrumental in getting me to think about religious life and the priesthood. Um, but as much as I respected them, it just wasn't my home. Uh, and I see some parallels, perhaps, maybe you could say something about married life, uh, with, uh, you know, someone finding a, a life partner, that there are all sorts of wonderful people out there, uh, but, you know, you can have a particular sense of being at home, you know, with one as opposed to others. Um, and so while, you know, our vocations might be distinctive in, in many ways, uh, certainly there is so much that is common, um, both in that call to holiness and call to, you know, friendship with, with Jesus Christ, but also in some of those same um, dynamics of the discernment process. Sure. So as you talk about different religious communities or even different friendships or, you know, in my case, like a marriage, you talked about like kind of holiness and humanness and that like really being drawn to that. And I think that's something we all should aspire to, to be holy and human. But what it reminded me of in, in this letter from Francis is he talks about how we all need to be holy in our own way, that for as many different people as there are in the world, there are that many ways of being holy. And I think sometimes I can get in my head like being holy means a very particular narrow thing. It means um, like very quiet gentleness, which I think it can mean, uh, but is maybe not the only way that it means that. And you think of, again, different religious communities in the church. You have some who have that charism of, of kind of quiet prayer, monastic life, and then you have others like the Jesuits who are and talk about being contemplatives in action like out in, mm -hmm. in the world. And I just really like that because for me, that, that word holiness, sometimes I hear that and I think, oh, am, am I holy? Like, am I too sarcastic to be holy? But, like, <laughs> but I think Francis gives me some like license to be holy in like my own way. It doesn't have to try to match um, Therese of Lisieux, even though I'm really inspired by her. Like, I can be inspired, but, like, no, I, that's not my path exactly. Right, right, right. I mean, just look at the saints. They are comically different. Uh, and they're all saints, you know, that they had particular ways of living out their holiness. Um, and, you know, I think in some ways that's 
one element of the genius of the Catholic Church, too, that, you know, there are saints that I don't feel a particular connection to, but others do. More power to them. And then there are saints that just inspire me, you know, and uh, they are in some ways, maybe I see some similarity, but I just want to, you know, get closer to uh, that level of, of holiness, for example. Um, and one of the things I really appreciated, um, and I wasn't surprised by, but I appreciated in this document, Christus Vivit, is that um, Francis poses some questions that one could consider uh, in that discernment process. So he asks about, you know, um, what are my strengths? What j brings joy or sorrow to my heart? What are my weaknesses? Um, you know, and I think those questions are really helpful. It reminded me of this uh, video done by uh, Father Michael Himes at Boston College that uh, a, a few years ago got quite a bit of attention. And he, he talks about the three questions. And uh, Pope Francis, in many ways, uh, covers all three. So he talks about, you know, what... Um, uh, what what brings me joy? You know, what makes me come alive? What just do I get a kick out of something? And then, um, you know, secondly, am I any good at this thing that I'm considering? You know, what are my talents? Um, and then does anyone need me to do it? Uh, and so oftentimes that particular vocation for each one of us is going to be at the intersection of, of those different things. Um, again, what are people or God calling me to something through people needing me to do something needs, you know, gifts. Uh, what are the particular talents that I have been given and that I have cultivated that could be put at the service um, of God and God's people? And then, you know, what really just stirs within my heart? Um, you know, what are my passions? Or uh, I was listening to a podcast recently in which this author was talking about how that advice to follow your passion that you hear at every you know commencement uh, address perhaps is not the most helpful question and that if you already really have a passion you don't need anyone to tell you to follow it because you're you're doing it and if you're not completely sure uh, you know, what your one passion is, that, that advice perhaps just feels overwhelming or not so helpful. Uh, and so this author talks about following your, your curiosity, which is a gentler notion, and uh, still gets at kind of the particular ways that um, God uh, knits each one of us in our mother's wombs. And, you know, in this discernment process, uh, like discernment in the broad sense, you know, we're not blank slates, you know, asking these questions. We are particular individuals who are parts of, you know, a network of, of people, of communities. And um, with those particular gifts and weaknesses and needs and uh, joys, um, God, you know, speaks to each one of us.
Yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. Follow your curiosity. You know, I, I like that as ways in for even discerning what your own passions might be uh, as kind of the, the doorway in. Um, I, I want to turn to the second half of our time, but before we do that and get into something fun, I want to give you a chance if there's anything else from your travels on the road or things that you like to share with people or things that's important to hear in discerning the big vocations and the small ones, things that have been helpful for you. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> some some of us uh, working with people in discernment joke when sometimes someone tells us that they're like in full-time discernment <laughs> and we joke and say like is that code for unemployment or something um, that this discernment process can happen even when one is just busy with work and study it's not as if you have to you know, go off to a, a monastery for a month um, to, you know, find how God is calling you. Um, and actually, it's in the midst of our daily activities that we have all sorts of data that can inform our discernment. But I would say that making a regular practice of prayer and reflection, um, of course, as a Jesuit, I oftentimes joke that like, a Jesuit, when in doubt, just recommends the examine. It's like the, the cure-all for everything. When in doubt, pray the examine. But it is a really helpful practice of, uh, you know, just kind of reviewing the day and how God was active in your life and, you know, kind of what was uh, stirring within you. And especially when one makes that regular practice to pay attention um, and then you know, is involved in all sorts of good activities through work and study and relationships, you know, oftentimes over time, things will start to become um, clearer and uh, one can make a more informed um, discernment, which, you know, again, that discernment, it's not for its own self. It, it, it leads to making a decision and uh, kind of stepping forward. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for bringing us a little bit into uh, where your head is at, your heart is at uh, in the midst of your ministry. Um, I, I think for me, even though like, so yes, I'm married and I'm, I'm a father. Um, there are still like those discernment, like those kind of little things. And then even evaluating how am I doing within my that vocation? Do sure. I still have that passion and, and joy? Um Am I experiencing consolation or desolation? How can I be growing in faith, hope, and love? I, I think it's that's not something that, like, discernment doesn't necessarily stop. I mean, you make a decision, and then that's a decision you live mm -hmm. with. But then you're constantly, I think, continuing to ask some of those, those big questions. As Francis puts it, the big question for him is not who am I, but for whom am I? Absolutely. And if I'm not living uh, for God and for others uh, in a really generous way, then I should be like kind of taking a look at well, what, why is that and what kind of needs to be reset. Mm -hmm. So I want to pivot now to the second half of our time together. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts is called The Podcast. It's hosted by a baseball writer, Joe Poznanski, along with a TV executive, Michael Shore, who made The Office and The Good Place and Parks and Recreation. Um, they draft really silly things. So they might, like, by draft I mean they like like a, a sports draft. They take turns selecting and then kind of make up these pretend teams and then see who wins at the end. And there's no way of determining who wins. They just see who they end up with. Well, the first one I listened to, I think they drafted different Halloween candies and they went back and forth to see. So we're each going to have five picks for this draft. Uh, we're going to alternate picks, and what we're drafting is books of the Bible. So we're going to each assemble a team of five different books of the Bible. So I'll invite you, you'll get the first pick, 
tell about what your pick is and explain a little bit about why you chose that. We'll talk about your pick and then it'll, it'll be my turn. I'm so excited about this. Uh, and partly intimidated as well. Um, so my first pick... Uh, I don't know what you're going to say about this. Uh, maybe I'm cheating. Uh, can I take Luke Axe? Oh! <laughs> Luke, I, I, have, I have Luke and Axe on my big board and I separated them. But I mean, uh, they're like... The same know, author. They are usually, at least know, by scholars, I mean, let's put say together. We were, let's say we were drafting, you know, favorite books of all time. You'd, you know, you'd be able to take, like, The Lord of the Rings. I don't think I'd let you take The Lord of the Rings. I think I'd make you take one of the other. But you know what? Go ahead. Tell me about Luke X. You're a guest. guest in the pod. You can have Luke X. All right. You'll get the next two picks. Um, so, Luke X. Obviously, if I'm going to pick just five books of the Bible, I need one of the Gospels. Uh... Luke is a really great one in that, you know, you just have so many iconic stories. The prodigal son, the good Samaritan, um, you know, there's such a concern for the poor uh, in Luke. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful gospel. And then, you know, the same uh, gospel writer uh, also put together Acts, uh, which, you know, I've, I like to think of Acts as the gospel of the Holy Spirit, uh, that uh, you really see the Holy Spirit alive. We're talking about Christ alive today. You, you see the Holy Spirit alive in the early church. And uh, I just gained so much inspiration in hearing those accounts um, of the early church. So Luke X is uh, a pretty good one. That's I a great, yeah, no, I mean, Luke was number one on my big board. I had separated it out from X. But, you know, again, you can have Luke X as one pick. Uh, again, the scholars do say Luke, the guy who wrote Luke, also wrote X. They're kind of this one one kind of text, even if they came differently. So they, they do get grouped together. Uh, but yeah, it's the best. I mean, Luke's the best. I love, too, um, the Magnificats in Luke. Oh, uh, all right. <laughs> which is just such like a, a great prayer vision for us, Mary's Prayer. You have him beginning his public ministry by reading from the prophet Isaiah, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. What an inspirational stuff. You have... You have um, the shepherds, you have the Christmas, you have so much in Luke. You have the Beatitudes that have the woes in them too, which I like as someone who likes to criticize something. <laughs> but like that, he, you know, if you don't do these things, woe to you, you know, who don't take care of people. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great pick. Can't, can't argue with the Gospel so, of Luke. So what if you get the, okay, the second pick of the first round and also the first pick of the second round? All right, round. all right. So I'm going to get two picks now? Okay, uh -huh. all right, I'll do that. Um, so I am then, uh, I'll start with the Gospel too. Um, I'll take the Gospel of Matthew. Uh -huh. um, Gospel of Matthew also has Christmas story. I love the Christmas story. You get uh, the Magi in that story showing that the message of God's love is for everyone. Uh, for me, at least in, in my life and a lot of my career has been involved in Catholic social justice ministry. Uh, Matthew 25, the Last Judgment story, which only appears in Matthew's Gospel, is like a, such a foundational text. Uh, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. You know, that's what he says to people. He welcomes them to heaven. And just the way that Jesus identifies uh, as, like, if you want to see me, Jesus says, like, look into the face of someone who's hungry. And um, there's someone uh, I knew who was a real prophet in social justice ministry in the, the Philadelphia area who, who died too young. His name was Larry DePaul. And Larry talked about, if you really believe that, like, when was the last time you walked down the street and saw a homeless person and genuflected like you would in front of the tabernacle? Mm. Like, if you believe that Jesus is really there, like, shouldn't we have that same sort of reverence? Maybe not the same exact motion, but then what is what does that look like? It means, you know, housing people and feeding them and 
and taking yeah. care of them. And so, like, yeah, that just Matthew 25 for that alone. And the Great Commission, too, at the end great of Matthew mission. when he sends people out. There's a lot of great stuff in Matthew as well, even if he isn't, like, quite as popular as John or, or Luke. So Right, and even, I mean, talking about Matthew 25, I, I mean, it's in Matthew when we see that the Holy Family was a refugee family. Uh, that, how incredible is that? And how must that inform sort of our own view on uh, the world today? Uh, so Matthew... Well, not Luke X. It's a great it's a gr- choice. Yeah, it's a, I mean, what, what can I do? All right, so I get the first pick of the second round as well, uh-huh. then. You're giving that to me. Um, so I am going to turn back to the Torah now. So we're approaching Easter, and in my family, I, I come from a half-Jewish family. Uh, so my, my dad's Jewish. We celebrate Passover every year, which is one of my favorite, my probably my favorite family gathering. And that, of course, comes from the, the book of Exodus, the story of Passover from the Exodus. So I'm taking Exodus. Um, which I was in a little Lenten kind of reflection group last year, and there's 40 chapters of Exodus, so we read one for each day of Lent. Uh, Exodus is a, it's a challenging read, but at, at the heart of it, I just love, again, that, that story of, of uh, Moses, uh, God approaching Moses in the burning bush and telling Moses, like, I hear the cries of your like, enslaved people. I hear that cry, and I'm getting involved. Again, this sense of God who hears us when we're hurting and then gets involved on our behalf. Um, so just that, that vision of God getting involved, uh, taking the side of the oppressed, uh, such a foundational text, leading his people uh, into freedom uh, is so awesome. Uh, I, I love like as they're kind of wandering around and they're struggling and having to work out how they're going to like live in freedom now, they immediately start grumbling and saying, at least when we were slaves, we knew like how things were going to go for us. And now this is just this wandering. Um, I really feel for Moses. I feel like he does like a lot of really difficult work and then doesn't even get to experience the promised land. Uh, the plagues, obviously, in Exodus, such vivid scenes. Um, yeah, so not a hard choice for me. Go in Exodus. Exodus is a great choice. Uh, it was my top pick on my board for the, uh, for the Torah. Uh, but maybe as a response, and also because I, if I'm going to choose a book from the Pentateuch, perhaps, you know, Leviticus is not going to be my top choice. I'm going to go with Genesis okay. for my second pick. And uh, you say, okay. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, in a sense, where it all begins. <laughs> in a very uh, literal sense, where it all begins. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, just so many, you know, accounts of God's promises and blessings, the accounts of creation and Noah, Abraham, Joseph, really many ways asking the questions where are we from and why are we here um i don't think i can go wrong with genesis yeah yeah no that's that's absolutely right i think sometimes there's like the fear i have that reaction like because people use genesis to and like treat it as like a science text and like you can find out when exactly the world was created which is not a catholic approach Uh, so sometimes I i can fall into like getting mad at it because of how people have used it but if you look at it as poetry it's just such beautiful poetry and the story of a community kind of exploring its origins uh yeah no just so beautiful it's where we get like in terms of our catholic social teaching social justice emphasis from like that first page like that humans are created in god's image and likeness like again the the crown of god's creation is in another human being like what a, what a powerful uh, powerful thing that really informs how we then go about like approaching the world and approaching our ministry. Um, yeah, I was once on a panel sponsored by Mormons with an imam and a rabbi. Of course, you were. <laughs> exactly at a casino in Atlantic City, uh, and they and the first thing like this Mormon and Mormons generally know like the, the the scripture a lot better than Catholics do. And the first question they had him prompt us for was, "Tell us about how like." 
you all kind of share this, you know, reverence for Abraham. Tell us how, like, Abraham, like, inspires your faith. And I was, you know, was scrambling. But I came up with, yeah, again, this idea of covenant, like, this closeness, like, God doesn't just kind of create us and then get out of the way in, in Genesis. But he wants to be close to his people. He wants to know them, to have a relationship with them, uh, and leads us where we might not want to go, right, on these adventures. Uh, talk about discernment. And Abraham is a great uh, kind of patron of discernment. So way to represent the Catholic Church at a casino in Atlantic City. Atlantic City, you're right. <laughs> yeah, well, at that very same casino, uh, the diocese where I used to work just had a huge complication. So we support uh, the casino business right. in Atlantic City uh, most <laughs> most definitely. All right. Um, so Genesis is a good second pick for you. So I'll go to the third round now with my pick uh, in the third round. Um, we're going to keep it Hebrew scripture. Again, as I said, half Jewish coming up on uh, Passover. So we're going to go to a prophet. I love the prophets at a great prophets course. I'll take a uh, book of the prophet Isaiah. It's just like the big monstrous one. But I really like about Isaiah in particular is that it's so it's not actually like one guy writing at one point in time, right? Like I think scholars say there's kind of three sections of it with a bunch of you know different writers, at least three writers kind of spread different times. And so like depending on the context, you get such different content in Isaiah. You get it kind of earlier in Isaiah. It's when, you know, kind of the, the Israelites are, like, not doing all that well. They're kind of living very comfortably. And so uh, Isaiah kind of afflicts the comfortable, right? He kind of says, like, well, you're, like, you're fasting, but you're also, like, um, you know, abusing the poor. You're not taking care of them. You forget that you are also uh, strangers in, in Egypt at one point in your history and now you're not treating strangers well. Um, and so it kind of gives that real call to to make sure that they're worshiping God and to, and to taking care of people who are poor. But then you flash forward to like Isaiah 40. You have a case when now the Israelites are living in Babylon in exile. And then that's where you get comfort, comfort my people. When he gives them that beautiful line of um, comforting the afflicted, when they are hurting, that's when he brings God's uh, mercy and saying, you know what? It'll be okay for you. God will not abandon you. Uh, I just love how, again, it's so versatile there. And that there are different messages we hear from God at different times in our own life too, is when do we need to be comforted? And then when do we need to be kind of poked out of our complacency. So we get all of that in Isaiah, plus a whole lot more, obviously. Great. And actually, related to that, and while still keeping it old school in the Old Testament, I think I am going to choose the Psalms for my third pick. Uh, you know, just so much of the prayer of the church, especially in the liturgy of the hours, just flows from the Psalms. And just as Isaiah, you know, has just so much richness for different types of situations. The Psalms, too, are prayers for all sorts of different emotions and experiences. You know, oftentimes when I am accompanying people who express, you know, uh, anger with God, <laughs> I oftentimes say, you're, you're not alone, you know, that we can, we can find that. But then, of course, we have great hymns of praise. Um, you know, we have this idea that the Lord is my shepherd, or you know, Psalm 139, you have searched me and you know me. Just this uh, you know, wonderful idea that God uh, has created us in such beautiful, unique ways. Um, yeah, I just find so much comfort and challenge and so forth uh, in the Psalms. I think they'll make a great addition to my yeah. list of five. One thing I'm realizing in this draft is that there really are no bad choices. <laughs> uh, that's the nice thing about scripture is uh, there's pretty good stuff no matter where you turn. People putting that together had a good idea of what they were doing. All right, so I better come back to the New Testament now. Uh, have, I, I need a letter, right? I need a letter. Well, that's really pretty much all I'm left with if I don't want another gospel. Um, 
So, deciding between some letters, I'll just take St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, um, which is a great, a great one. So, 1 Corinthians 13 is the one right at weddings, right? Kind of God mm-hmm. is love and, uh, f- you know, faith, hope, and love remain the most, uh, you know, the best of these is, is love. That's great, but I really love is um, 1 Corinthians 12 when Paul talks about the body of Christ, the sense that we're all different parts of the body, all with something important to offer. Uh, when one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. When one part of the body experiences joy, we all share in that joy. Uh, I just love that vision for us as church, all, again, part of this this one community. I had this professor for, for Paul, this old, uh, he just passed away a few years ago, this Irish Dominican named Jerome Murphy O'Connor, who was this giant man with a huge white beard. The way he talked about Paul made it sound like he was friends with Paul and like was literally there walking around with him and uh, just really brought us into that world and, and helped me really grow from my appreciation of Paul. I think sometimes like Catholics, we're not, we don't know as much about Paul as maybe some of our Protestant brothers or sisters do, but you just see someone again so uh, on fire, have this huge conversion experience and then was sent out, you know, and, and just accompanying all these different communities and uh, kind of sharing with them uh, the good news and so I think, again, so inspiring for us. So, yeah, I don't feel bad about taking uh, my favorite letter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. <laughs> Not surprisingly, that was uh, on my list. And I feel, you know, just a little bitter that you stole it from me before I could. Uh, but, of course, Paul wrote a lot. Yeah. Uh, so you so have- there are other great options. And I, I think I'm also going to take a letter from Paul. I'm going to take one that... Uh, just has a lot going on, and perhaps it has been more celebrated and studied and prayed with uh, among Protestants, though I think we as Catholics can very much find a lot there to it, and I will take Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, There's, like I said, a lot going on here, all sorts of wisdom around salvation and grace and the law and how we should live and not be conformed to this world um and certainly it's uh material for all sorts of fruitful discourse with our protestant brothers and sisters as well so i will go with paul's letter to the romans yeah that's kind of like a big magnum opus of paul's right like the kind of longest it's so funny so in that class i took on paul we did all of the pauline letters and then he just didn't do romans because he is convinced that he wrote romans as like this sort of like ego flex in some ways, like let me put everything I can do into like one thing, but wasn't with the community he had like journeyed with sure. the same way he had known the Corinthians or the Galatians or mm-hmm. uh, the Colossians or whoever. So we just didn't even learn Roman. So that's like a big blind spot for me and my Paul. So I need to I need to dip into it because just because one guy says I'm not going to study it doesn't mean we shouldn't study it. So all right though, sure. letter to the Romans, big magnum opus of Paul. So we each have so we each have now four. So I have one more pick to make. So I have to decide: Am I going to dip? back into the Gospels. I mean, you have Gospel of John sitting there, mm-hmm. which some great, John 13, the washing of the feet. That's coming up Holy Thursday. That's a great one. I don't know about two Gospels, though. I mean, well, obviously you could have two Gospels. But I'm going to go kind of like a deep cut. We've done mostly like kind of the greatest hits so far. I want to do a little deep cut for a book that I didn't really know about until we just had our second daughter uh, a year ago, which is the book of Esther from Hebrew Scripture. So we were trying to discern different names for our second daughter. And uh, Esther was one of our favorites, but we realized we don't know much about her. We know there's a book. She's an Old Testament person. And then kind of looked at her story. And it's this incredible story Mm. of this, you know, young woman who becomes like this very powerful queen. uh, But then there are people kind of out to get her people, the Jewish people. And so she essentially at first uses like this kind of nonviolent resistance, kind of almost lobbying, like using words and persuasion to convince the king to like, 
look out for this guy who's coming after uh, the Jews and to, to make sure he doesn't, you know, doesn't exterminate them. Um, and so it really becomes this protectress and ends up like kind of saving the day that way, using her power for good. Uh, her uncle, who's a big character in this story, has to kind of like convince her that like she should take on this mantle early on in the book and says to her like this great line to her, like maybe you were born for such a time as this. Like maybe this is what your, your vocation is, is mm-hmm. to use your power uh, this way, which again is such a great, I think, vocation line uh, for us. Um, and so Esther, a great role model, a great hero in faith. Our daughter was born on Purim, which is the Jewish holiday that celebrates the story of Queen Esther. So mm-hmm. I thought like, oh, that's just too good. Uh, so Book of Esther, I'm happy to have a woman featured for one and to round out my five with like an interesting kind of deep cut from Hebrew scripture. All right. I think I'm going to take a different path, a more traditional path, and take the idea that you <laughs> rejected and choose the Gospel of John. Left it on the board for you. <laughs> I mean, I feel that's pretty good that I still was able to get John with my last pick. Um, there's so much going on. Admittedly, especially recently, you know, we've had some of the long discourses in John at uh, the uh, Gospel reading in a daily Mass, and uh, as a preacher, sometimes those are difficult to uh, uh, to preach about, but there is just so much good in John. This idea that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. This idea that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus has come that we might have life and have it in abundance. Um, and then, of course, that beautiful you know institution of... Uh, I mean, at at Holy Thursday, this day we remember the institution of the Eucharist, we hear the gospel reading about Jesus washing uh, his companion's feet. Uh, What a beautiful uh, model for us. So I feel like I got a bit of a steal with John for my last pick. Yeah, no, that's definitely a steal. And I, and I love about uh, the, that John 13, the foot washing, is that that's the scene, the moment, right, in the Last Supper, this kind of climactic moment. And the other three Gospels is where we get the institution of the Eucharist. We don't get that right. uh, in John's Last Supper. Instead, we get this, the washing of the feet. So putting really this pride of place for serving others uh, for kind of, and then going to those places, the feet in first century Palestine, probably pretty gross, right? Going to those places that aren't comfortable uh, to, to be, you know, companions with, with those who are, who are living that way, living there. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a good pick for sure. So we, we have our teams assembled. So Michael, your team, uh, you have Luke Acts, I gave it to you as the <laughs> You're a generous pick. man, Mike. Yeah, well, so goes. Um, Genesis, Psalms, Romans, and John. That's like really like a nice greatest hits. You could do a lot with just those five for sure. <laughs> a lifetime of study. Uh, and then I have Matthew, Exodus, Isaiah, 1 Corinthians, and my deep cut, Esther. Uh, I give myself bonus points for taking Esther because <laughs> of our daughter who's named Esther, so I get some points there. Those are two good squads right there, two good squads. So. We left a lot of good stuff on the board. We left Mark on the – I always feel for Mark, right? No. Mark always seems like he gets kind of left out. Um, I like Mark, too, though. I kind of right to the point, right? Absolutely. I appreciate that. I kind of set the stage, too. It was the first gospel, so don't um, – don't leave Mark out of your own study and prayer, uh, listeners, even though we left out Mark from our teams. Um, pretty good squads for sure. Um, yeah, I, again, 
So, I don't know. Do you have any final thoughts on your team or my team, Michael? Now, is there an opportunity for anyone to vote? Or? To vote? We can we can put that out. We can put that out to see. I think you would get it because you ended up with two Gospels. And I went, again, I went pretty like pretty deep with Esther. But maybe people would be uh, touched by my personal story uh, for Esther. That could be. Uh, so, it's possible. Yeah, we can put that out on Twitter. We'll put out a, a poll for that. Uh, well, anyway, Michael, thank you so much for hopping on for this conversation. Great to reconnect. Always good to see you. Uh, and uh, God bless you and all of your God ministry. God bless you as well, Mike. Yeah, great to be with you as always.